Uh, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm pretty excited about uh, what is happening. Just checking my watch. Normally I have a timer in the back, but I don't think it's working too. It's counting down. So it says 19 seconds left. They must be Bronco fans working the thing back there. So it's just like, get, get this thing done. So we're, we're looking at a couple things. In my favorite movie of all time, it, one of my favorite movies of all time, reached its 25th anniversary, which I probably talk about every five years. Does anyone know what movie? It's back in theaters, actually, after 25 years. Josh Shank, Redemption. This is, uh, this is one of my favorite movies. And the reason I especially like this movie is because of the long game. So if you're saying, hey, I've never seen that movie, don't spoil it, deal with it, it's 25 years old. So uh, this is also an apology to Rush fans, or the Rush fan who was here. Chris pointed out to me that this album actually went platinum, so I was making fun of it. This, they sold a million copies to Chris and my friend Mark, apparently. So this is how this happened, so sorry about that. I just like the Elburn art, actually. So Shawshank Redemption, did it not appear? Okay, so you're going to imagine the Shawshank Redemption people. It, it was on the computer. I went to my computer. It said, do you want to revert? I said yes, and then apparently it just deleted it. So you're going to imagine two things. Uh, the, so Timothy Robbins, I think, is the name of the guy who plays the main character, and he's wrongfully in prison for the murder of his wife, if you know this. And then he goes, and this whole thing is happening, and then it is discovered what, halfway through the film, something like that, that there is someone that says, oh, I know how that woman was murdered. And it obviously wasn't you, so he's really excited about this. But in the meantime, in the background, he is, has this deal with the warden, and the warden is like skimming money, and because he was a finance guy, an accountant, that this is all figured out because of this character who's leading it. So then they take the guy out, he's really excited to talk to the warden, and the warden has that guy shot. And so like all hope of ever leaving, like your heart breaks at that point. So the story goes on, he gets to be good friends with Morgan Freeman, and he's, like, and he's carving and doing these things with these pieces, and I don't want to spoil all of it, but there's a key, key moment, like there's few movies where you want to stand up and cheer, but inside, this is one of those movies when you're watching this, and the warden is so mad that he suddenly is gone, and he takes the chess piece, and he throws it at the wall, and it shoots right through the poster, and you can hear it clank, and then they, they roll through the whole thing. Do you know how long it took, according to the movie, for him to figure out his escape? I had to look it up. 19 years. So 19 years. And I just think, I've been a pastor not even 19 years. So I'm 17 and a half years of being a pastor. So just think of my entire ministry up until this point. So if you counted like vicar year, I guess, it'd be 19 years. So from the time I was Micah's age until like right now, if I had a singular goal that none of you knew about, and behind the scenes I was slowly working for this big there's got to be, there's some French word I know that means like the culmination, but I can't think of it in literature, but like the ultimate moment, and that's what happens in this movie. For 19 years he works, and he has to do it the long game, right? If I went into prison, I'd be trying to advise like how to get out of prison like the next day. And wouldn't you feel like that? Like if you're stuck and you're like, no, I would never be like that. Uh, but how many of you are like, oh, why can't I just get in shape like next week? And how many of you think, okay, I just ate, I ate well for like three days, like where's the results here? What's happening right now? Or you like go work out or you just like, hey, I'm going to train for a race or something like that. And you run like once and you run twice and you're like, man, I just don't feel like I'm getting any fitter, right? So like the long game is just a fascinating thing for our culture because we are not long game. Some people are looking at their spouse right now. This is awkward. Um, the long game is an awkward thing for our culture because we are like immediate instant gratification and today we kind of have to talk through the long game, and, and I'm going to explain where that's coming from when it comes to God's law. So the situation that we're in is in Luke chapter 14, 
says, one Sabbath, Jesus went to eat at, in the house of a prominent Pharisee. He was being carefully watched. So the Pharisees are lay people just like you. These are not like the teachers in the law. Those are kind of experts. They were paid. The Sadducees were on councils. But the Pharisees would have been like really pious people at our church. So prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling in his body. The old uh, version said dropsy, which is apparently, I guess, means swelling like in your joints or different parts of your body that indicates that there's something else wrong on a major level. That's what Luke is the doctor. Remember, he's talking about this. So Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is the law lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So if you know your Bible, you know that this comes up multiple times, right? Jesus says to them multiple times, is this okay to heal on the Sabbath? And then he does it anyway. Like sometimes he does it. In this case, he asks them ahead of time, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So here is the, here's what's happening with, with the Pharisees. So the Pharisees really appreciate God's law. And they don't want to break God's law. That makes sense, right? This means good, pious people. They don't want to break God's law. And so they have to figure out what does God mean when he says certain things in his law because some of this stuff is not completely spelled out, right? So here's an example. Let me show you here. I'm going to jump ahead. Exodus 35, where God talks about it. Six days work is to be done, but the seventh day shall be your holy day, a day of Sabbath rest to the Lord. This is the, um, this is the command, right? So, okay, got it. So rest on the Sabbath, what does that mean? So if you're just going to describe this to your family and you said, okay, God gave us this command. Uh, six days work is to be done, seventh day we rest. Got it? What does that look like? What do you do like that seventh day? Six days is easy, work. Seventh day, don't work, right? So a little bit later in the verse, it helps us out. Do not light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day, okay? So now you're getting a little bit of clarification. God is saying, tell you what, I don't even want, it's not just going to your job. I don't even want you to like cook. I don't want you to cook on that day. This is a big deal, right? And so you're going, okay, what, how do I explain this to my kids? Like, we're not going to work on this day, the seventh day. We're not going to light any fires, got it. We're not going to, you know, go to the job, I got it. And is this that big a deal? Well, this is what God says. Uh, whoever does any work on it is to be put to death. I'd say that's pretty high stakes, right? That's, that's my opinion, I mean, obviously, but that's pretty high stakes. So someone says, God is serious enough about this that I do not want you to work on this day. If you do, you die. So if you had something like this in your house and you have kids, I'm going to talk a lot about family today, so if you don't have kids, sorry about that. Um, so a, a lot about family. If you had something that said like high voltage, you touch and you die, would you put some parameters around that? Or would you just say to the kids, remember, don't touch that cable. I don't know what kind of house you live in, but I mean, <laughs> like they have this exposed cable that kills people. But the, if you have this, what would you be thinking to the kids? I think I'd set up some rules, like don't even go in that room. Like wherever my death cable is, don't even go down there, right? This is not good. I don't want you to even near that. And in fact, if there's a cable ever, never touch it. And like how many rules would you have so that they don't touch this death cable? Like a whole bunch, right? You, would you have signs? I'd have sign language. Sign, I'd have 12 languages, like all these things so that my kids don't do this. The Pharisees really do the same thing. So they're not like, every time we hear the Pharisees, like most of us picture them like dressed in all black, like the evil characters and like, dun, dun, dun. Here comes the Pharisees and then they walk in like this, you know what I mean? Like with pointy, pointy goatees that makes them evil. Um, but actually they're pretty good people that are just saying, all right, God is pretty serious about this Sabbath. So we got to figure out so people don't wreck it. And so they have all kinds of writings. The experts and the teachers of the law start to write stuff to try and convince people that this is a big deal. And so some of it says, what does work look like? And it says how many steps they can take 
on the Sabbath day. So they measured, I can't remember, 720 or 1,200 steps or something like that. So they would measure, the Pharisees would measure how many steps they did to make sure it doesn't count as work. And they would do a couple other things. They started to talk through scenarios, and they're like, okay, what happens if my donkey gives birth on the Sabbath, right? I mean, the first thing you do is pray, like, Lord, why would you give me this heathen donkey who gives birth on the Sabbath? This is terrible. But what would be the next thing? You're like, can I help the donkey? So they actually have writings. You can look at the Talmud, which is very, it's longer than the Bible. All these writings, the rabbis are saying, okay, if the donkey falls in, you know, the donkey gives birth, some guys would say, no, you can't help it. And some guys would say, no, you can help it. That's okay. Birth of a donkey is okay. So they're trying to figure this out. Like, what's considered work? What's wrong? What's right? When do you kill people, right? I mean, this is kind of a big deal, right, when you're trying to figure this out. And so some people said, well, what happens if you're, this is in their writings, you can find it, and what happens if your donkey gives birth and it goes into a cistern? Which, like, cistern, I think there's a couple ramifications that would be happening, because this is one of the things they talk about, is if it went into your water, I'm guessing dead things in your water is not ideal. This is a hunch, right? I'm not, I'm not, a water expert, but I don't think dead things in the water is good. Like, you don't cook your chicken, and you're like, I don't know, let's just throw it into our, our five-gallon five thing for water. You wouldn't do that, right? Not cook a chicken, that's what I would say. This is ruining my story. You'd find a dead chicken and then put it in the water. This would be bad. So you kind of get where they're coming from, and, and because of this scenario, they talk it through, and they go, okay, if it falls into a cistern, some guys are like, that's fine. You should pull it out so you don't have this dead animal in your water and the animal that gave birth, because that's valuable. I don't know how often donkeys give birth. How often do donkeys give birth? I think once a year. Is that right? Any farmers here? Wait, wait. Chickens give birth a lot, and so do rabbits, but I don't think donkeys are just having babies all the time. I see, like, spring is like the time when the animals have babies, I think, right? Domesticated large animals, I think that's how it works. If you have a pet elephant, it would be two years or something like that, I know. But So we're trying to figure this out, and they say, okay, some guys are so strict that they said, if it gives birth and it falls into a pit, a cistern, like water, where you drink, even then you can't even take it out. Like, so it's just going to drown and ruin your water and, and die. Like, pretty strict, right? And so Jesus is talking to them, and they're trying to figure out, and so Jesus asks a simple question. Is it a lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they're like, that's a, that's a hard one. We didn't have that one because we never met anyone who can heal anybody. But uh, I don't know. Like, and they're, they're kind of dumbfounded. And so his response, they remained silent. And so taking the hold of the man, he healed them and set him on his way. He said, go ahead. He said, tell you what, I think it is. And he sends them on their way. What are we really trying to figure out here? What's more important, the human being's law or God's law? And so God makes this rule do not heal on the Sabbath. Don't, don't, you know, remember the Sabbath day. What's more important, the law that other people had? And you can imagine what would happen. Because when, we all do this. We all make rules in our own head that say these are the good rules. And when you follow those rules, you generally feel good about yourself, right? Like maybe you have a thing that says you brush your teeth every day, right? You feel pretty good about yourself if you brush your teeth. Or um, you say it's a good thing to send flowers to my spouse. So you send flowers to your spouse. This is a good thing, right? You feel good about yourself. That is the law, right? That's the law part of it. And uh, let's think of another one, like don't speed. And some of you are big people, like make sure you never ever speed, so then you don't speed and you feel good. You look at all the people speeding and you're like, they're the worst people of all time, right? I mean, has this ever happened to you? There's other laws. It's just whatever law it is that is very sacred to you. You make sure you follow that law and then you feel pretty good about yourself because you've done that. Now that could be all kinds of different laws, right? It could be like at, on dates, you look around and you have a rule that says you don't use your cell phone on dates and you just put it away and you look at all these other couples staring at their phone and you're like, oh, 
can't believe it. Terrible. And you make all these, maybe no one else judges people, but I do. So I judge people because based on my, my set up rules. And so what is the purpose of the Sabbath rule? Is it about the rule itself? Is God super, super pumped that you take a day of rest for the Old Testament people once a week? Let's just talk about this for a little bit. From a physical standpoint, I would say it's not about the law. And I'm going to come back to this. It's not about the law itself. It's about the person. And one time Jesus heals. Uh, no, the, the disciples are walking through a grain field and they pick up sheaves of grain, if I'm using that correctly. They pick up sheaves of grain and they eat it. And the Pharisees are all mad because they harvested on the Sabbath day. Not very well or efficiently. They just got enough in their hand. And Jesus said, law, the law is not made for, um, the man is not made for the laws. The law is made for the man. All right, so we're going to talk about that. So what would be the possible purpose of having a physical day of rest? So most of you guys have, uh, many of you have jobs. You have some kind of obligation. And what happens if you did that seven days a week? What happens if on your job you work for seven days straight? Are you going to die? You're like, obviously not, because I work seven days a week, right? Like this is not, you don't physically just die. What happens if you do it 14 days in a row? 21 days? And if you had to work for like a month straight and you always have work because it's some big deadline or you work in a tax world or something like that and you're trying to figure out this stuff and it's like again and again and again and again and again, are you actually going to physically die? Not likely. Not likely. How long would it take working every single day of the week before you'd start to feel like run down and feel like you're not yourself and you're not the spouse you want to be, you're the parent you want to be, you're the grandparent you want to be? How many days would you have to work in a row? Seven days? For me, it's two. No, I'm kidding. No, no. <laughs> I can do Sunday and that's it. That's, that's all I can handle. Uh, so, right. So, I don't know what that number is, but for every person it's different. But what is the purpose that God says to these people? I want you to make sure you have a day of physical rest all, all the time. It's, it's for the person. He says you can get away with it for a while, but from a physical standpoint, this is a good thing that you have rest and you have this day where you just set all this stuff aside and mentally, emotionally, physically, you can say, okay, kind of a reset and a restart. So, again, this is for you. When God makes laws, it's for you. It's not for control. It's not for manipulation. It's not just some rule to ruin your weekend plans. When God says, here's my expectation of you, remember the Sabbath day, take a physical day of rest, he's saying, I'm looking out for you here. So now just imagine this. Um, I was trying to think of a scenario that was a good one, and I, I couldn't, so I came up with this. Um, the you ever watch the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off and they have that really nice Ferrari that Carmen kicks and then sends it out because his dad doesn't love him because he works more than seven days in a row? Uh, <laughs> like so, he sends this thing off into the distance. And I think that someone told me where that house was. I forgot where, like Washington or something like that, Oregon probably. And so there's this very nice Ferrari. Now it's sold on the market, one of the most uh, highest selling production vehicles in history. I forgot, multi-million dollars or something like that. So now imagine you own this car, your dad or your grandfather, great-great-grandfather, somebody bought this and they give it to you. And what would you do to try and take care of that car? So let me ask it a different way. What kind of rules and parameters would you set up? What kind of systems would you set up? How would you go about this if you weren't worried about you taking care of it? You weren't worried about your kids taking care of it because you can take them along, right? And you can talk about it. And what kind of things would you set up in place so that the kids of your kids take care of that car? I think that's way harder. So you'd probably talk about this car, right? And you'd say, okay, every Sunday, I won't make it that obvious, okay, once a month we're going to wax the vehicle. 
right? And we're going to only use these type of fabric, right? These diaper things or microfiber something or other. And we're going to do it in this way. We're going to rub it very lightly and we're going to do it this way. And then when we're done using the car, we're going to put a cover over the car. And we're actually going to have it lifted up so the tires don't get destroyed. And we're not going to drive it outside. And we're not going to drive it, if we do, we're not going to drive it in the rain, right? How many rules would you have to protect a car that's worth like $3 million? I'd have, we're not going to ever let a teenage boy ever even look at it, right? That's what, that's, that would be the rules of the car. You'd have all these things, and we're talking about a car. Why? Because it is hard to not only instill this in the generation below us, but the generation below that. It gets very, very difficult. So is it really about the rules of waxing the car? Is, it, is the car going to go destroyed if you don't wax it on that Thursday? But you're trying to say that this is very valuable, this makes sense, and for the sake of this, this is what we're going to do. Do you think there is a reason that God connects a physical day of rest with the spiritual? Because he says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. There is one, rest, no work, right? Don't even light fires or you die. But he says, keep it holy. Do you think there's a reason he connects the physical with the spiritual? From my experience... I haven't been totally aware when spiritually I'm going, to, going down the wrong way and I'm getting farther and farther from God, from my experience. And in your experience, I don't know if you just wake up on a random Thursday or something like that and you say, you know what, I feel like I'm drifting from God, I really got to do something about it. But I do notice when I'm getting tired. I do notice when I'm feeling burned out. I do notice when my whole goal is to just get home and have like a glass of wine with my wife and sit on the couch or watch a movie and just not think. I do know what it's like when my kids come and I don't want to talk, talk to them. I do know what it's like when I'm just feeling run down and overwhelmed and you just sit in a chair even though you have all this work to do and you say, I'm not even doing any of it. Do you ever been there? Do you ever feel that way? You do know what it's like to feel physically burned out. And oftentimes in those moments, I step back and, it's, and I say, you know what? I think spiritually, during those same times, I start to get farther and farther from God. And my time with God gets a little bit farther and more space. My devotion life is a little bit off the tracks and off the rails. And my time is sitting down with my wife and to just read some scripture and talk about it. I guarantee when I'm feeling emotionally and physically and totally drained, I'm not much of a dad. I'm not much of a shepherd to my family. But do you think it makes sense that God says, tell you what? I want you to take a physical day of rest and remember me so that when you start to recognize the signs of this, God says, maybe you should take a look at your spiritual life and these are connected. To me, it does. Because it's not about the law. It's about you. Let me tell you a story. Um, my friend, uh, his name was Jerry, awesome guy. So I, I was with him in Washington. I married his, his, um, married his son. Played softball with him, imagine that. So Jerry was a phenomenal softball player, but his, here's the, Jerry would come by. And he said, yeah, this is what we do with my family. We, we have donuts every Sunday. And I thought, that is awesome. I like to have donuts every Sunday. And, and why does Jerry do that? He, has, he says the whole family comes from all around and they have donuts every Sunday. So in my mind, I've always dreamed. I thought, okay, if my kids live anywhere near me, how could I lure them into my home so that I see them every Sunday? Like how good would the Sunday dinners have to be and someone just talked about that. Charles is here. So Charles has, he makes these massive, awesome Sunday dinners. So when his kids are in town for church, they, they come and they say, this is a special moment. So now just imagine if I am, uh, if I was a millionaire, not just a thousandaire. So imagine I was a multimillionaire and I said to my kids, here's the deal. As long as you come by my house every Sunday, you're going to be part of the will. You get a million bucks. And when am I going to die? 
So it's just by, I, I don't want to do all the math, it's a little bit morbid, but like, they'll probably be like 55 years old, roughly. That only makes me at 75. <laughs> Give myself a little bit of credit, they're going to be 60. All right, at 60 years old, 60 years old, they're going to get it. So how much would I be, technically, you'd start to go through all this stuff, and if your parents just said, I want you to come by the house every Sunday, and if you do that, you're going to be part of the will, okay? And, and what would you be thinking as a kid? How, much, how many of you would like that if your parents made that stipulation that you have to come by their house every single? You guys are stricter. You said you have to move next door, so that's even weirder. But I mean, let's, so it's pretty strict, right? So and you probably said to your friends, this is the stupidest thing ever. My parents are super controlling. If you tried to explain it to someone, they'd say, oh my goodness, I cannot imagine having parents like that that say like you have to be there on Sunday. And then you start to figure out ways to get around it. How many years would it take? How many Sundays is that? So let's just say, uh, I got to do some math here. From the time they're 20 until the time they're 60, it's 40 years. Four times 50 would be, what, 2,000 Sundays? All right, I got to do some math. How much would you get paid if you got a million bucks? If someone's got a faster calculator. Uh, One million dollars divided by, what do we say, 2,000 Sundays? 500 bucks a Sunday. I should have been able to do that faster now that's so even. Don't judge me. I'm up front. Like, people, eyes are on me. So th- there's 500. <laughs> She's like, but you planned this ahead of time. You could have done that. So, so $500 a Sunday. So you'd start to think through your head, like, okay, is this worth 500 bucks? And you're like, okay, it's probably worth And then you'd start to wonder, how many Sundays would you just be pumped to go? I think there'd be plenty where I'm like, oh, we got to go to mom and dad's house. Yeah. Then you'd start to wonder, what does it mean to come by the house? Does that mean just drive by? Does that mean like just like touch the house? Does it mean like pop your head and go, hey? Does it mean like send a photo, like FaceTime? Does that count? Like coming by the house? So what do we mean here? Can I take part of the house and move it to my house? And so this counts, right? I'm like, hey, I'm touching the house at home. Good to see you guys while we're on our trip camping and stuff like that. We have all these different rules and you start to do all these different things. But what happens? Why would I make a rule like that? It seems ridiculous, right? And it seems really onerous, and it's like I'd be the ultimate controlling dad, and they would just roll their eyes. And, but what happens if I did this because I wanted them to discover something beautiful? And if I said to my kids, here's why I made this rule. Because I want you to know what it's like to be part of a family. And I n- want you to know what it's like to be loved and to love. And I want you to know what it's like to, when you're, you're weighed down with stuff, you've got some place where you can give those things up. And you can be built up by people that love and care for you. And you have people that, that pray for you. And you have people that think about you. And you get a chance to worship together in a family unit. And the world is going crazy and doing all their things. And we just want a moment as a family. My guess is that if you went 2,000 Sundays in a row to your parents' house, when the day came when they gave you that million dollars, is that the most valuable thing you got? My guess is you'd say it's not about the money. It's not about the rule. It's about family. 3,500 years ago, God makes a rule, right? He makes a rule that says, this is what I expect of you. I want you to be, and for our case, he wants you to be worshiping every week, and I want you to spend time with me, and I don't want you to be distracted with work and setting up some big meal. Don't even worry about that stuff. I just want you to be together as a family and worship me and keep that day holy. And God says, I'm deadly serious about this because I'm deadly serious about my love, right? I want you to understand the beauty and wonder, and I want you to understand what it's like to be loved and loved. I want you to understand what it's like to take all your burdens and have a place to drop those off. I want you to know what it's like to be lifted up and what it's like to be forgiven and what it's like to find a group of people that really loves and cares about you. If you don't go to church like for two days, three weeks, four weeks, what's going to happen? It's not about the rule. 
It's not what God's worried about. And when Jesus, if you see this continues, what's he do? He heals the man and he asks him this simple question. This is how we're going to finish up. Then he asked him, if one of you had a child or an ox that falls into the well on the Sabbath day, would you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Basically, Jesus says, you have all this head knowledge, but in reality, when you saw a chance to help and love your own child, you do something different. And God has said, this isn't about head knowledge. It's not about feeling good about doing all the right things. God said, there's a reason I'm doing this and I'm deadly serious about because you need to know who your Savior is and you need to know what forgiveness is and you need to be built up because the world is crazy. It's not about the rules. It's about you and your soul and God is deadly serious about loving you. Amen. Uh, Heavenly Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we are so overwhelmed with things and we have so many things going on. We think we know what's best for us. We have our own path. We have our own decisions. And we go about those ways thinking we figured this out, but we're not really figuring out. When you set these rules up, you weren't setting for the next generation. You weren't just worried about Moses and his family. Instead, you said generation and generation and generation. And you set something up that can seem onerous, it can seem controlling, it seems like, why does this bother? But we recognize very clearly it's not about that rule and doing the right thing. It's about what happens when that happens. And that happens is we get to see the beauty of Christ, a God who loves us and a God who forgives us. And we're able to pour that into ourselves so that we can pour into the people that are connected to us. Help us always recognize the Sabbath is not about control and manipulation. Instead, about its opportunity to worship and love you. We ask this in your name. Amen.